Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Incoming transmission. Politics. Not good at politics. Surely there are others who are better suited. Track Politics with Mary L. Trump and Bob Seska. Hey, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of Trek Politics with me, Mary Trump, and my co-host, Bob Seska. Hey, Bob. Hi, Mary. How are you? I'm actually really good because, as you know, I'm not going to pretend that you also don't know, we have as our guest today the phenomenal Tim Russ. Oh, oh my yeah. goodness gracious. What an interview. He is the coolest. This was something that we've been looking forward to, and it definitely exceeded my already very high expectations. So that is going to be incredible. Um, we'll get to that in a little bit. But before we we uh, shift gears, uh, we got a shout out uh, that you wanted to mention. Oh, yeah. Thanks to Tony and Laurie from Trek Movies All Access Star Trek podcast for giving us a great shout out on one of their more recent shows. Uh, it's, a, it's been such a huge honor and privilege to have been welcomed into not just the broader Star Trek fandom, which we've always kind of been a part of, mm -hmm. but in terms of the other websites and podcasts as well. Yeah. I mean, this is one of the reasons why I jumped at the chance to do a Star Trek podcast with you, Mary, because I knew that it was this kind of community, this kind yeah. of welcoming, embracing community. And uh, it's been such a great experience so far to uh, to be accepted by everybody. And, and, and certainly Tony and Laurie uh, proved that uh, with their uh, kudos for us. So we really, really thank them for that. Okay, so before we get to Tim, we were on hiatus last week. So in the interim, uh, we have two new episodes of Strange yeah. New Worlds that we wanted to talk a little bit about. Uh, not too much because um, neither one of them, in my view, uh, and we're talking about tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, mm -hmm. um, a, a very overused quote from one of Macbeth's soliloquies, um, but a great soliloquy nonetheless. And yep. The Lotus Eaters, which is uh, the name of a uh, Alfred Lord Tennyson poem, which everybody mm -hmm. ch should check out because it's a great poem um, based on a Greek myth. And, you know, Bob, I, I like Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. Not so much The Lotus Eaters. Um, and the thing about both of them, though, is they didn't really advance the season, the, the season's mm -hmm. arc. Am I, did I miss something? Yeah, I mean, it, it didn't further the overall arc, the narrative arc of the season, but we did get a little bit more into the characters themselves, certainly Lon and then uh, Paul Wesley's Jim Kirk. Mm -hmm. And I was reading an interesting interview with him uh, before we started the show today, and he was talking about how what we're seeing is not necessarily canonical 
Jim Kirk that right. we are familiar with from TOS and then the subsequent movies. We're seeing Kirk at a younger age. And as a result of that, and certainly alternate universe Kirk in both mm -hmm. cases or every case so far. Yeah. Um, so in that regard, we're seeing a less formed Jim Kirk. And that's part of at least Paul Wesley in what he was saying, that's part of the design of where we're going with this. And the love story between Laon and Kirk uh, made it extraordinarily compelling on top of the big moral conundrum of the episode. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, and that was something, I mean, would you allow something horrible to happen if it led to a positive outcome? And in this case, in the episode, it was uh, whether Laon, I mean, Laon could have murdered, spoilers, Khan as a young boy in that room and avoided all kinds of horrible things with the eugenics war and so on. She chose not to. Was that a wise decision? Right. Um, before we get to that, because I, I think that is, that is the essential moral conundrum. Um, I just want to be clear. I did like the episode, even though it broke some of my rules. I don't like, mm -hmm. I like science fiction to be in space. <laughs> I don't like when we go back yeah. to, to earth that we're living in now, because I don't want to be living on the earth that we're living in now, quite honestly. That's why we watch Star Trek. Um, but it, despite that, I did like the episode. I love the fact that they brought Pelia in and mm -hmm. uh, she, she, became an ally to them um, in her earlier life, uh, living in Vermont <laughs> and owning a store called the archaeology department, which I thought was, was hysterical. Mm -hmm. um, I also like the way once again, um, strange new worlds and, and, and Picard most recently are giving space to uh, the not, not lesser certainly, but they, I guess the less prominent, actors uh i thought christina chong and paul wesley did a great job and it was it was great yeah. to see them uh you know to see their range and um i wonder how and if it will affect their potential relationship even though i don't think they had known each had ever met before uh they mm -hmm. both went back in time um so you know, despite that, I, d I did think there were a lot of good things in the episode. And uh, again, not a huge fan of time travel because it's just messy, right? There, There's no simple answer to that question um, because, I mean, I guess the answer to the, the moral conundrum is what if, if you do kill the per the child who we know becomes a mass murdering savage will something worse take his place like we don't know if we if somebody if if hitler hadn't been born would there have been somebody else doing something worse yeah. it's hard to imagine but you know uh there always seems to be another stalin or or lenin or pot pol pot or what have you or nunian singh um mm -hmm. so uh I wonder if um, the answer to the question is simply you cannot change the timeline, even though, of course, they seem to change the timeline all the time just yeah. by going back into it and like some of them even staying there, which is one of the biggest problems I had with uh, Picard season two. 
Oh, right. Yeah. Because Rios stayed behind. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, yeah, it, 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 it's one of those things where it's a fun what if. Like, okay, yeah. what if La'an had murdered Khan when he was just, whatever, a nine-year-old in this episode? Yeah. Which would have been horrible to watch, by the way. I'm not saying that, yeah, I desperately wanted to see this nine-year-old get strangled because he's, <laughs> at that point, completely innocent. But he goes on to do horrible things. I mean, I guess when it comes to the eugenics war... Um, Khan doesn't torture people, but I don't know if that makes him that much better. It's a ma matter of degree rather yeah. than right or wrong. Uh, so in this case, uh, you know, you, you have to look at our own, uh, you know, our own modern world and wonder, geez, what would have been, ha what would have happened if uh, Donald had been murdered at age nine? We're just not born at all. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, would it have precipitated something else? You know, and we, we think about that, too, with actual events, because there is like a school of thought out there, not necessarily that I agree with it. But, for example, the idea that George yeah. W. Bush and the, the tragedy of the Great Recession led to the rise of Barack Obama and the positive things that came out of that as far as health care reform and and so on. So uh, it is a real head scratcher. I, I think it's something that is so tantalizing that we drive ourselves crazy to mm -hmm. really begin to consider it as a possibility. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that that episode, I, I'm not entirely sure, um, again, where it fits into the larger scheme of the, the show. Um, but I enjoyed it. And, um, you know, maybe it's, it's one of those standalone episodes. What's weird, though, is it was followed up by another standalone episode, mm -hmm. The Lotus Eaters, which I didn't like. What was it about it? Well, again, it w took place on a planet <laughs> that wasn't very futuristic. Rigel 7. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was mentioned in the cage, right. and we saw it, I think, briefly, but yeah. Right. So it is going back to that first pilot of the original series. Yeah, and and again uses another trope that I think is at the point of being overused in in the Star Trek canon. Uh, everybody forgets who they are. Yeah, it was uh, the TNG did an episode uh, in season mm -hmm. five called Conundrum, yep. where there was a alien species they they encountered and uh, zapped the entire Enterprise D and all the crew ended up losing their memories and couldn't figure out who they were or what they did on the ship. They knew their basic functions as human beings. Mm -hmm. They could speak and they could do the things that they needed to eat and so on, but they didn't know who they were. And it was actually a, a really fun episode because suddenly uh, Worf is assertive enough that he thinks, okay, well, I must be the captain because I'm I'm decorated. I've got this right. this thing, and uh, and then we see uh, Jean Luc Picard back at Jordy's engineering station on the bridge. He's plugging away at something, so everyone's confused and everyone's mixed up. And then and then um, Riker spends the night with Ensign Rowe, uh, which is like the big <laughs> event of that episode. Oh God, that's right. I forgot about that. Riker, man, <laughs> made his way around that ship a few times. I tell you. Oh, yeah, wait, and yeah. is that the one? No, 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 because there was uh, in season one. Um, I don't uh, maybe it wasn't amnesia, 
but they were all acting out of character, which is when Tasha Yar oh, sleeps yeah. with uh, Data. But yes, we have seen that idea of memory loss. And, and just while we're talking about that, uh, the series that I kept thinking of when I was watching Among the Lotus Eaters was uh, Severance. And in fact- Oh, interesting. The, yeah, the forgetting in Lotus Eaters reminded me of the idea of severance in that Apple TV show. The basic setup is there's this technology, this chip that you, they put in your brain where when you go to work, you forget your regular life. And when you're done with work, you forget what you did at work. So right. you actually become two different people based on memory. I'm doing a terrible job of explaining it, but that's generally speaking what we're talking about there. You, yeah. be, you essentially become two different people. You become your work self, which is known as your innie, and then you become your home life self, which is your Audi. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal show. <laughs> yeah, your innie essentially becomes a slave to your Audi persona. And so uh, it was very similar in Lotus Eaters when they kept talking about the forgetting, or I think it was every night they would forget. Uh, what they did in the previous day, didn't they? Yeah, and actually what's, what's more interesting is the way they accommodate it. The, the, the yeah. natives to the planet have just not just gotten used to it, but embraced it in a way because it's inevitable. And the, the three crew members who were down there, Dr. Mabenga, um, Leon, and uh, Captain Pike, are resisting. Mm -hmm. um, like the like these neophytes who just don't, don't understand the rules of the game uh, yet and are kind of horrified at how, because uh, Leon gets wounded and one of the, I don't know if you can call them villagers, they still seem like they're uh, in um, a gulag in Siberia. Uh, it's just like, oh, well, you're going to die. So just go with it. <laughs> yeah. She's, it, it makes her very angry. Um, so there is that, uh, an interesting parallel between that and what happens with one of the characters in Severance who decides that she doesn't want to be in any anymore. Right. Um, it, it becomes, it, it becomes quite a challenge. Um, mm -hmm. so I don't know. I, again, I, I'm not entirely sure where this episode got us exactly. You know, one thing, though, I will give it this is they nailed the punching thing this time. <laughs> and right when they're confronted by the Rigelians and there's six Rigelians and then there's just three uh, Starfleet crew members, the three you just mentioned, uh, immediately Laon goes, OK, three on six. I think we can take them. And Captain Pike goes, oh, hang on a second. Let's try a diplomatic solution first. And I go, well, were they just listening to our show from a couple of weeks ago? Was it? <laughs> no, obviously they, sure were, they were, but it was, it was. Oh, wait, kind that of, would involve time travel. Sorry. Of course it would. Yes. <laughs> Monking with the space time continuum, of course, once again. Uh, but no, I, I was relieved that that was that, that Captain Pike showed that level of restraint. And yeah. maybe that's what we get from Captain Pike. Maybe Captain Pike is the moderating voice yeah. when it comes to the uh, predisposition to punch people or to punch your way out of a situation. And then we get to the point where 
He's infiltrated the castle again to get the memories back from uh, Zach Nguyen, who's this crew member who was left behind in the cage or discussed in the cage. And, uh, and he ends up getting really, Pike gets really aggressive and just starts wailing on him. But they explain it as being sometimes losing your memory reveals who you really are, so to speak. And so maybe there's a level of aggression below the surface with Captain Pike that we haven't really seen yet, but which still exists. And so maybe that was an illustration of that. So I was fine with that punching. When there's punching with a purpose that makes sense in the context of the story or the morality play that they're trying to do, I'll accept that. Uh, You know, as I said last time, I'm not... I'm not a pacifist necessarily, but when it comes to Star Trek, there are certain expectations, and and this certainly fulfilled that. I'm with you. I, I am not into the militaristic side of Star Trek. Uh, you know, I think that's that happened in Discovery a lot. Just lots of gratuitous fighting and violence, and it's like, hey guys, yeah. that that's not what we're here for. Mm-hmm. You know, I get it. You, we need to be prepared for. All eventualities when we're out exploring new galaxies and and coming to contact with new civilizations and cultures but yeah that's not the mandate <laughs> you know the mandate is not to um be aggressive or or even you know take up arms immediately mm-hmm. it's about exploring and, and diplomacy and discovery and learning and all that sharing and what have you so oh, yeah. uh, it is always nice to be reminded that you know, there are level heads there um, knowing when to pull the punch and when not to. So yeah, yeah. that was cool. And as for what happened on the ship, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it was just a lot of people forgetting who they were. I did want to mention, too, something that I really enjoyed. And this harkens back to Picard season three, where Erica threw an asteroid <laughs> using the tractor beam. <laughs> That's right. Which I, I, you know what, honest to God, I hope that becomes a Star Trek thing because I love seeing that. That's something, yeah. um, just scanning my memory banks, I don't remember that ever happening before uh, Terry Metalis and everyone did that on Picard season three. But uh, I hope that becomes a thing that we get to see every once in a while because it's kind of cool. It's <laughs> really cool. I really enjoyed that. It's, yeah. it's a great tool to have in your toolbox. Yes, yes. Throw an asteroid with your starship. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, Okay. I did. Oh, I also, speaking of Erica, I did want to mention mm -hmm. too, just real quick, that I enjoyed Erica asserting herself as the the pilot of the ship. And yeah, I I get the idea that there are other shifts of of Helm's people on the Enterprise, but Mm -hmm. we never see them. And Erica's the main one. Erica's got the day job, you know. She's the Sulu. Yeah, of course. She's the Sulu, and yeah. uh, and we know that she's a hotshot, and yeah. she has a reputation of being this phenomenally talented pilot. And what I did think was also interesting, and I'm I'm glad you reminded me, um, because I don't want people to think that it was a bad episode. It just I I just not quite sure where it fit in or how it moved things along. But um, she was initially. Erica was supposed to be on the away mission and oh, yeah. you know, she was supposed to pilot the shuttle down to Rigel four or seven, seven. Rigel seven. Um, yeah. And at the last minute, I don't remember why um, Pike replaces her and she was really 
really upset about it. Yeah. And of course, Spock was like, what's your problem? And she's basically responds by saying, read the room. <laughs> she was so <laughs> there's ups- your insubordination, Mary, by the way. <laughs> so true. Again. Yeah. Um, but it but <laughs> it really affected her and it it makes you realize that she's feeling trapped. She's in this very specific role. And mm-hmm. she really wanted to expand her horizons and was denied that. So when what it took for her to remember who she was was to remember what she does. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting and empowering for her because mm-hmm. she's not Absolutely. just Eric Ortega. She's, she is the helmsman of this incredible starship. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah. Yeah. And comparing the two episodes, I kind of like Lotus Eaters a little bit more than Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. Um, I give Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow a B. I would give Lotus Eaters a B plus, mm-hmm. which, you know, compared to other series, a B plus in Star Trek is basically like an A plus for anything yeah. else. So yeah, yeah uh, grading on a curve. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not, I mean, I'm not sure if I'm, I'm in total agreement, but what I will say is that I don't like being taken away from the ship or the crew. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to be hanging with those people on that ship or on some other cool futuristic location. Uh, so that definitely, it gets props for that, for bringing us right. back to the ship and being with the crew. So, yeah. So watch, everybody should watch both of them, even though we basically just told you what they're both all about. <laughs> Did yes. we say spoilers? I think we should just say <laughs> should just say that at the top of every across every the show. board. There's there will be, be spoilers, there yeah. will be spoilers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, so Bob, yeah. <laughs> retroactive because that's a really useful. Yeah. Uh, I know. Sorry. Oh, well, it's that time travel thing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, uh, Bob, let is let's just jump right over to the interview with the extraordinary Tim Ross. Everybody, yes. we hope you love it as much as we did. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. We love you, Mary. Uh, you're Debbie. our hero, Mary. Oh, Deborah my gosh. Uh, she hi, Mary. Was very hi. excited when I said I'm I was... I'm having a fan <laughs> moment. Oh, come say hi. Come come say hi so I can see you. Yeah. Yes. I want to say hello. I'm not in the garden. No, it's no. A fine. You're yeah. only going to see this much. Come here. Come here. She's very small. <laughs> come here. Come here. All right. Here we go. Just, yeah, jump in there and... Hi. Yeah. Hi. It's so great to meet both of you. Oh uh, yes. yeah, wonderful. And Bob. And, and, and Bob. Yes. Well, I already and met Bob. him. Yeah, well, she, she, she hears Bob uh, when we Bob. listen to Stephanie Miller all the time. So, uh, so we get we get Bob. We get both you guys. It's old time here, man. Yeah, you know, yeah, I was going to ask you, Tim. How did you guys first discover the Stephanie Miller show? Um, that is a very good question. And now I've got to think back on how that happened because, uh, I've been listening to her for a while and I'm, I'm trying to figure out when that would have occurred. And I cannot think of when that started. 
Somebody, so, I think, somebody, I think, suggested uh, that I listen to her and uh, to her show Randy because Rhodes. it was political and comedy. Was it? Where is it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Randy it was Rhodes. from listening to Randy Rhodes. Yes. I was listening to Randy Rhodes. Uh, oh, You're okay, American. great. Yeah. Yep. Love that Randy. Was the connection to, to, uh, to her. Yeah. Back in yeah. the, the W administration. Yeah, when they when Air America first started, that's when I started listening. You know, because that that came on, and I was like, "Very cool, this is great." Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I I think it went from there to Randy to Stephanie. So. Yep. You know, when I first heard that you were a listener of the show, Tim, I was like, yeah. "That is so cool." Tim Russ loves fart jokes as much as anyone else. <laughs> Yes, uh, just because I play a very stoic character on a television show does not mean I do not have. <laughs> it's amazing how that happens. <laughs> yeah, isn't it amazing? <laughs> well, you know, yeah. one of the other things uh, we have in common, Tim, is uh, we're both born in Washington D.C. But you didn't stay there for very long, did you? You you had no, no, quite no. a uh, a lifetime of moving around, huh? Yeah, my father was in the Air Force twenty years, so I moved all over the the globe as it were on uh, different places R- roughly every two years or so we would move so yeah no i was in dc i wasn't there for even a year you know and uh, yeah. i really had i've just gone back to visit a couple of times that's it um so it's just a place that i was born and that's it it's moving on you know was your dad a pilot in the air force no he was ground communications at the bases so he was in charge of uh, inspecting and uh coordinating ground communications at all the air force bases wow and you were yeah. everywhere yeah, we went we went around. I was in Southeast. I was in Asia. I was in uh, the Middle East, um, Anchorage, Alaska, and then parts of the U.S. So we got around. Yeah. Did you learn a lot of new languages in the process? I mean, did you uh, sort of adapt to wherever you were? Yeah, sort of. That's exactly what happened. I mean, whatever, wherever I was, I'd pick up just enough language to get around, you know, like to go out and, and, and you know, hit the street or go to a store or do whatever, you know, especially I think when I was in Turkey. Um, I was in Izmir and I was old enough then to be able to, you know, to hang out with my friends and stuff and go do things. And that's when we learned, I learned the most at the time, uh, of the language to get me around and, you know, communicate with folks in the street. And do you think that experience of, of being exposed, uh, which a, a lot of Americans aren't to different yeah. cultures, to choosing to learn, try to learn the language, which again, a lot of Americans don't. You think that like helped inform your worldview? Because, you know, Americans seem to be pretty myopic uh, in in a lot of ways. (laughs) Just a little. Being gentle. Yeah, Yeah, yes. That's being kind, yes. Um, Yeah, in fact, uh, being, uh, living uh, that lifestyle, which was basically moving uh, every two years or so, we were going from one place to another. And it wasn't only uh, exposure to other cultures and languages and places early on, which does benefit you uh, in terms of, of being aware of, of other languages, other cultures, other peoples. Um, but it also lent itself to my uh, pursuing the line of work that I ended up doing because there are a lot of uh, elements that are involved in both that are very similar. And in fact, a lot of people from the military go into entertainment hmm. uh, because you're constantly uh, going from one place to another. So you have to adapt to new environments all the time. You uh, make friends and then you lose your friends very quickly because you're not there very long. And <laughs> right. when you're working on a project, you know, like a play or a 
film or something like that, you get very close to people. Uh, you're working very closely with you, bond with them. And then when it's over, they're gone. And it's the same thing. Um, uh, and also not knowing what's going to happen, not knowing what's mm. going to what's going to occur in the next year or so. Uh, that is also the same thing as growing up in the military. It's the same sort of feel. So there are two things that sort of uh, lent themselves to the, the direction that I went as far as my career and also my attitude, you know, towards, uh, you know, the, the worldview and, 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 the, and the way in this country and, 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 you know, the diversity that, that's out there. Yeah, absolutely. Had it, it was a benefit to me in that respect. Yes. Oh, as opposed to up in a small town someplace. Yeah, that's fascinating. I never would have thought of that. That's a that's a really uh, amazing parallel experience uh, that yeah. that actually um, sets Star Trek apart because it's it's such a a world of its own that mm -hmm. that keeps sort of reinventing itself and perpetuating. That uh, you guys it seems like you guys are stuck with each other forever. <laughs> yeah. 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 And the story, the story would be something similar to that. Yes. But there again, you know, I was on the show for a very, for seven years and um, I, I am friends with everyone on the show, but we don't really, we, we, we don't really hang out. You know, uh, we live in different places and we go right. about our own ways. And even when working on the show it was the same thing. You know, we didn't get together and party all the time after we got through work and we just went home and we had our own lives. Yeah. And so everything was just, very and then was gone and that was it right yeah yeah and i i think it's it's probably um because there's so much star trek right now it's hard for people who might be co coming to picard season three or sorry the new picard or right. strange new worlds or discovery don't understand that there were decades in between franchises yeah. except for yeah. ds9 and, and voyager which overlapped right. but you know there was no Star Trek at all in the eighties as far until the very late eighties. And then again, yeah. um, until this latest Renaissance, uh, of Star Trek. So yeah. I think, yeah. I think that kind of, uh, leads to this illusion <laughs> that, yeah. you know, you've all been hanging out since 1967 or something. <laughs> <laughs> You know, Tim, I am just endlessly impressed by Renaissance men, and you are absolutely a Renaissance man. What of your varied interests? What came to you first? Was it acting? Was it political activism? Was it music, astronomy? What was sort of your first big thing of the things that you're still interested in today that sort of hit you like that bolt of lightning, uh, maybe at a younger age? Um, it, the first thing out of the gate was music because oh. um, uh, my brother was uh, uh, started playing drums when he was 13, 14. And mm. um, that was very cool. And I thought, well, geez, I want to, you know, I want to play something as well. And so I just chose guitar and I started studying it when I was uh, 15, 16. And then I immediately went into playing with other with bands and things like that, because that was the thing to do. Um, and it was so much fun. So uh, music was very, very much the first thing. And shortly thereafter acting, uh, yeah. because I started taking classes when I was just in my last year of high school. And then I went off to study in, in, uh, in, the, at, uh, in college. So theater was next. And I think from, from, there was a big gap of time between the two. I was playing music all the way through college and even post college. Um, and then when acting started to take off, um, the music sort of took a back seat for a minute and, and I decided to just pick up 
you know, astronomy uh, on my own. There was no real catalyst for me to, to that inspired me to go do it. I just decided because I was always interested in um, in science fiction and science fact, space science. Yeah. So I thought, well, you know, it might be cool to get a small telescope and go out and, and see if I could, you know, look at the planets and things like that. And uh, it was really exciting uh, when I first yeah. tried it and did it and was able to spot Saturn and Jupiter and all like this stuff. And then from there, I just went off to, you, as usual, when you do a hobby like that, ended up, you know, getting bigger and bigger telescopes and, and <laughs> more of them. And, uh, and I'm still doing it. So, so uh, that was the last one. And, 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 and then beyond that, because the politics of the time when I was growing up, uh, as you all know, were you had a change in, in, in political parties, but that didn't, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't volcanic. It wasn't some major shift of something. It was kind of the same thing. And there was a, just a tremendous amount of, yeah, whatever, whoever's in charge, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing. And everything was going on a fairly steady course. You know, there were yeah. these dramatic, you know, shifts and things and drama going on. It just wasn't that because everybody was behaving like they're supposed to. And and so then as uh, post Reagan, I want to say when Bush Jr. got in, that's when things started to get a little shaky. And that's when I I you know, that's when I became focused uh, a lot on politics. And it was during his his uh, regime, as it were. Um, <laughs> and the, the Iraq war and all that stuff. It's first Desert Storm, which was a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was a really big deal, something, that, you know, for us to, you know, literally, and, and, you know, do this kind of military incursion. We hadn't done that in a while. So I was became focused on that. And then the Iraq war, which was I can still remember where I was in my apartment sitting there watching the television when he came on and said, you know, we need to invade Iraq. And I was like, what in the hell is he talking about? And uh, and I was stunned. I mean, is somebody I, I was going, is anybody listening to this? What What the hell is going on? You know, that, that that's ridiculous that, you know, the, whatever he was jabbering about and, you know, trying to make an excuse for. And, you know, and, if, and we all knew it ahead of time. And sure enough, it, you know, turns out to be, you know, exactly what we assumed it was, which was nothing. And, um, you know, so, yeah, that's when I became more interested in politics. And I started listening to uh, the AM radio talk shows. I used to listen to Michael Jackson. Remember Michael Jackson used to be on. He used to be a... Um, yeah, uh, a British uh, sort of uh, a radio host. And at the time he had a show in which it was a call in show and he come on and Michael Jackson was, you know, at that time, this was like a sane sort of, you know, talk show in terms of compared to what it is now. He would have mm-hmm. people come on and whatever the issue was, um, whether it was uh, guns or whether it was animals or the environment or whatever the issue was, uh, he would have people come on from they would call in and they would be on either side of the fence on whatever the issue was, but he was very moderate. And, and what he would do is he would have them come on and they would say what their piece is. And he would always take the devil's advocate position regardless of which side it was on. So if it was a liberal view, he would take the conservative view. If it was a conservative, he'd take the liberal and he would go back and forth. Like he would pretend to be the other side and argue with them or debate with them. And he was very cool and mellow. And, and it was very, it was really a smart show, which they, which was, they saw fit to take off because, you know, uh, at that time they started taking the right, started taking over progressive and, uh, you know, uh, liberal talk shows, uh, off right off the air. 
Yep. And so all of that disappeared. Michael Jackson, great dancer, by the way, in addition to being an excellent <laughs> Among other things. I just had, yeah. to, I had to do it. I had to go there, Tim. Yes, I had to say yes, something. Yes, I know. Whenever I bring up that radio talk to him, everybody starts thinking, wait a minute, Michael Jackson was there? Michael yeah. Jackson had a podcast? Yeah, a radio show? Yeah, he right. was hosting a show. Now he's going to get a radio show, yeah. Who's into politics? Wait a minute, what's going on? That's right. <laughs> Listen to Michael Jackson hang up on people. That's the little known aspect of his life. <laughs> <laughs> but Tim, in, in hearing you recount your experiences uh, around the time that, that illegal illicit war was declared, yes. it just reminded me how I how I felt. And it it did you feel that it was just like you and a couple other people who got it because <laughs> the the especially post September 11th, you know, I think people weren't really thinking things through and i just i felt like am i crazy or is everybody else crazy because this is just yeah. so wrong um yeah. right yes absolutely that was uh it was a, a reactionary thing 9 11 caused everybody to be uh reactionary just to like mm-hmm. we have to go do something now we have to go out and do this and do that and they gave him carte blanche uh, to go ahead and declare this or that without Congress or without anybody else. He didn't care. He had the power to do whatever he wanted to do at that time because mm-hmm. of what had occurred in 9-11. And people had to, you know, step back. And nobody really was stepping back and looking at even at 9-11, you know, and looks look at what led up to 9-11. Look what, what was going on. We were financing bin Laden. We financed him in the war in, yeah. uh, in Afghanistan. We were backing him. We were giving him weapons. He was nailing the, you know, Russian helicopters with the the stingers we were giving him. You know, uh, we supported him. You know, and he had a gripe with us being in Saudi Arabia and having bases, a permanent footprint there. And you know, he kept going on and on about it. And you know, that stuff led up to 9/11 eventually. So, our involvement in the uh, is another podcast radio show host used to say uh, uh, the muddle east he used to call it the muddle east <laughs> it's constantly it's been like this for thousands of years and yeah. we're you know still stuck in it today you know and it's yep. uh, it's just it's a mess and it's always going to be a mess so um post 9-11 everybody was reactionary so when, when the thing started going south bush got in there and that's when i think again everything started because the reasons and the motivations for going into that war for that entire administration were selfish. They had nothing to do with anything but but lots of money for a lot of people, including the Bush family, including their 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 uh, their friends and everybody else. Uh, the party, there, everybody was making out like a you know bandit on that thing, yeah. except yeah. people of Iraq and four or five thousand of our soldiers. So yeah. Complete and utter. Yes, I was sitting there wondering. Well, when, well, I was. I did take place, uh, take participation in the protests that were here in L.A. Uh, I was in the streets. We were protesting uh, the war, and I think they were happening all over the country at the time. So I did that, and and there wasn't at the time so much um, Twitter and Facebook and all that stuff weren't really at the point where they are now. But we were in the streets, and we were talking about it at, at the time. It, it's just. You know, uh, there was nothing to stop them from doing what they were doing. Uh, yeah. They were ginning up, ginning up the reasons and everything else with Colin Powell and whatever, you know. And then to 
And on top of that, uh, when it was over, you know, they asked him, you know, did you, you know, have you found any WMDs? And he says, oh, I don't know. Uh, maybe they're under the table here. You know, and he was joking. Oh, yeah, I remember he was that. Joking, yeah. joking about that. After all those people have died and our own soldiers have died, you're yeah. you're joking about this? Really? Is yeah. that is that, you know, I mean, the whole thing was just. You know, and everybody, uh, the Secretary of State, not a single, let me see, let me see, not a single, I don't think there was a single hearing, was there? Was there a hearing about uh, not finding any WMDs after this big, expensive uh, war with all the dead people? Uh, there wasn't a single congressional hearing that I recall to, in, no. you know, investigate all of that stuff, you know, like yeah. Benghazi and in emails and all that shit. There wasn't a right. single, wasn't a single hearing, not one hearing for that which is very yeah. interesting yeah and, and yeah. you know to get to your other point too i i think that that is a really good place to locate kind of where how we got where we are because there was september 12th and i live in new york i lived in new york then and september 12th was had the potential for creating this entirely new global community because there was this massive sense of unity on September 12th. And all of that got squandered. And it just has felt ever since then that the wrong people are in power at those moments where we can make the greatest impact in changing mm -hmm. the way mm -hmm. uh, we decide to go down the path that we're yeah. on. Um, so, you know, that was, that was pretty depressing, but it does seem to be still this, well, you know, he committed treason or he started a legal war or he lied his way onto the Supreme court. What are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think that, 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 uh, beyond being demoralizing, it, it just makes it a little more difficult to imagine. And I'm not, I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but, uh, something that Bob and I talk about all the time. And that obviously is, is built into the fabric of Star Trek is the more perfect future. Uh, like, oh, do we yeah, need yeah. to keep going through these flashpoints of horrible suffering committed by the worst people before we can get to the point where uh, we can use the the kinds of common humanity uh, that will get us to a better place? Yeah, it's interesting. I I, I think. Um... There's two things that that, uh, that that you know we can we can look at and say okay compared to the 1940s compared to you know the era of World War II since that time there is there is there are some things that are actually positive that have that have happened since then number one we're not in a global war right. we haven't been in a global True. conflict since World War II right. so although there's been the Cold War although there's been the threat of nuclear war we've kind of backed off. You know, the Cold War is backed off and, and the global uh, conventional war, we don't have, we're not fighting on every continent like we were for, you know, centuries, really, right. um, since the World War II. And that's a lot of decades uh, yeah. of relative peace. All the European nations that were always trying to kill each other are, you know, are now working together as a, a common, you know, uh, economic system. Yeah. So... That is a very good thing. And I think also the, the fact that now that now, because of what's happened in the last 10 or 15, 20 years, that people are becoming a little bit more politically aware. There are I think people are aware now. Yeah, they're choosing sides and it's become a lot more tribal. But people, I think, in general, 
more people have become more politically aware of what's happening, as opposed to what I was talking about earlier when I was in college or post-college, when yep. nobody was really paying attention to any of this stuff, like, you <laughs> yeah. know, whatever. I was like, whoever's in, who is it? Oh, okay, or whatever. You know, we're just going to go about our business. Now, now there's a red hot focus on it. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you're not watching the television, it's around the water cooler or it's a friend or it's a family. Somebody's talking about what is going on. People are aware, more aware now than they ever were before as far as what the politics are in the country. This is, this is like you said, it's reaching that sort of flashpoint, that, that major disruption in things that people all of a sudden wake up and say, hey, what the, what's going on? And I think those two things have happened. And I think we're in terms of moving towards the future, like I said, that may be an indication, not only that we're not experiencing a global military conflict, but we're also becoming a little bit more politically aware of what's happening and also an awareness of our own environment. Well, given all the weather conditions and things, people are people are getting a little hip to something's going on, you know, and I think they're starting to wake up, you know, um, and, and it's. It's difficult for a lot of folks because, you know, they have their 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 everyday lives. They've got their kid, their children, their 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 mortgage, their insurance, their whatever, you know, that they have to deal with every day. Their jobs, and they just get that they're focused on that, and and there isn't a great deal of time for them to get involved in this in the, the political scene and what's going on, the social stuff that's happening. And I, I don't, you know, that I think is the reason why everything just sort of tends to move very slowly, mm-hmm. you know, in, in that regard, as far as motivating and, you know, galvanizing people on, as a whole. But I think we're there. We've, we're moving in that direction right now. So uh, I, this is a different era than certainly 20 years ago, 25 years ago. That's refreshingly optimistic, Tim. Yeah. I, I mean, and that's, awesome. that's certainly not a criticism. I, I think that's, in fact, a very rare thing these days because we often see um, friends, family members who have been kind of indoctrinated into this uh, right-wing cult, uh, this Christo-fascism, uh, for right. lack of a better term. And uh, we were talking about this, in fact, with Jerry Ryan when she was on, and the question becomes, what about them? What's the best strategy as far as uh, deprogramming them? Uh, in the case of Jerry Ryan's character, she had to be deprogrammed from being a Borg back to yeah. a human being. With our real world and our friends and family members, how do we deprogram them? How do we how do we get beyond this uh, sort of manufactured division? Man, that is that is that is an excellent question, and it's also a very I, that's a very good question. It's tough. It's, yeah. it's it's really tough because uh, Mary can speak to this to deprogram someone mm-hmm. who has been in a cult. That is not something that happens overnight. That is a long process yeah. of deprogramming. And, and there is, I believe, on the, on the psychological front, uh, a process, a method that is used to deprogram. Mary, would that method work for somebody in this particular uh, political sort of uh, uh, dichotomy? That Would that work? Would that process of deprogramming somebody from, say, a religious cult uh, would it work the same in a political cult? This one, like the one we have now, would that work the same way? I no. I first of all, it, it could well be. I mean, I'm not saying that it so, so, nothing could be done, but it's, yeah. it's it's a slightly different challenge because cults are closed systems, right? And that's the thing that's always yeah. confused me about the era in which we live. Um, the uh, the 
right-wing media, the propaganda, they're all sort of serving that purpose. People are in, everybody's siloed. Um, but I think the bigger problem is that the, the officials, the politicians, whether they're state reps or Congress people or senators or governors, are people they've put their trust in with their votes. So when the people in power across the board are lying to you about everything mm. and that's like there it's self-reinforcing so there's no way outside of that um because again there's no pushback anywhere like nobody's listening to what chris christie has to say uh really right. um right. so a hundred percent and i i this is during covid was when i thought about this most because that's when it was doing the most immediate and obvious damage. Right. If you've, you've put all of your trust in somebody to, to run your government and take care of you, uh, so to speak. And they're saying it's a hoax or vaccines are going to kill you or don't wear a mask. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. So it's, it's a little more complicated and it it's going to require more seismic changes uh, at a national level, I think. I mean, something yeah. big enough is going to have to happen that, not that it's going to change people's minds, because I don't think that's going to happen first. It's going to force people in power to start recalibrating. Right. So it's it's because they're, in order to, to deprogram those folks, you'd have to have them isolated. They would have to be, yeah. they would not be able to see the, the, the propaganda that they're, that's feeding them. They would have to be taken away from that cult and that's basically how it would work if it was a religious cult. It'd be the yep. same thing. Take that, take that person out of there, sit them in a room. They are completely away from all of the other stuff, and then you start working on them that way. That's the only way they could do it. But in our the society we have today, that's very difficult because of the right. media. They can get access to it in a second. Right. And I always always wondered this this period in time. You know, this is a turning point. This is a seismic sort of moment in our history. Um, because, uh, and, and, and I could only compare it to what I mentioned to Bob before, uh, not long ago about, you know, a Star Trek episode, how would they, how would they deal with a storyline in an episode of Star Trek with confronting this, this, uh, this wave and this persistence of misinformation mm -hmm. and flat out seeing something that's in front of them and being denied. Uh, would that be a, a civilization that they came across in which the two sides were opposed to each other? And it was obvious that one side was clearly not realizing what the reality was and how does the other side deal with it? Or is it something where our crew on the ship encounters someone who is, who is saying all these things when it's clear that the data does not show that? It's clear that what we see is not what they're talking about and they are completely you know, consumed with, with something that's not real. It would be a fascinating storyline as to how our future uh, storytellers uh, or, or uh, players in that world would deal with that kind of thing. Cause it's not a starship with uh, phasers and shields, man. It's much more insidious. Yeah. This yeah. propaganda, you know, how do you fight that? You can't fight that with technology. You've got to, <laughs> you, you have to use some other kind of weapon. What is that going to be? And what is, 
the weapon going to be that we use, you know, uh, up against, you know, the billionaires and their media empire um, and their support for our, the, the, our right wing politicians and our courts now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, woo, wow. So how do you how do you, you know, combat that? It, it, that's what I've been, you know, sort of wrestling with the last two or three years since the stuff started coming up. I mean, that's the biggest, that is such, we have never had to deal with this before. Never. We've never had to deal with yeah, this before. Well, we've had issues and we've had one side or the other. You know, the Vietnam War, there were two sides. Yeah. There were clearly two sides. But everybody agreed that there was a Vietnam War. Right. Today, one side would say there's no Vietnam War. What yeah. are you talking yeah. about? That doesn't exist. That's the difference. Yeah. They would not be able to agree on the fact that there was a war. So, right. Michael that, Jackson couldn't have that show today. Yeah, no. <laughs> either, yeah. either of the Michael Jacksons. No, either of the Michael Jacksons. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think of this uh, Voyager two-parter, the Scorpion two-parter, where... Janeway negotiates an alliance with the Borg because there's a common enemy, species 8472. But if there were, say, for example, a common enemy to both sides of our political debate right now in the United States, would that make any difference? And I think it goes to what you were just saying, Tim. I don't even think that that would... Um, I think what would end up happening is we would both take to our own trenches and we would say, well, the one the Republicans would say, oh, it's the Democrats fault that this species 8472 has come along. And the Democrats would be, what what are you talking about? Why are you blaming us? We had nothing to do with this. And it would just it would turn into that argle bargle again. Right. right. That's what COVID was supposed to be. Yeah, exactly. That was supposed to be our unifying. Yep. Enemy. Right. Yeah. As a matter of fact, you're right, Mary, that that should have been the common enemy that we all galvanized around and and well, and, and wrestled with globally and dealt with it, you know, uh, in, in this country in particular. Um, yeah, should have been. And it wasn't. And it's exactly what happened. They simply, you know, politicized it and made one side against the other. And that's just it's mind boggling. I think the only way. On a, on a, on, if you have a family member uh, or a friend who's gone down the rabbit hole, I think the only way to get them back would have to be a Vulcan mind melt. I think that would be the way to do it. <laughs> Mary, oh, can oh, you do that? You're gonna, you're gonna <laughs> no, I, but this is one instance in which I'm all for ignoring the prime directive. Somebody can yeah, yeah. Yeah. come on over, <laughs> interfere. Yes, in a big way. I agree. I agree 100 uh, percent. Mm-hmm. Put that on the back burner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so now there's this there's this extra dimension now, this, uh, this monkey wrench that's been thrown into the works of A.I. And obviously the writers are on strike right now over A.I. Actors probably going out uh, very soon as well. Um even though it's still in this in its infancy, it's easy to see how dangerous it could become. We had this conversation over text messaging, Tim, uh, specifically related to Picard season three and yeah. the Dominion takeover of the Federation and the you right. know your character Tuvok had a doppelganger uh, right. that was a, a Dominion operative. So that's something that we can that we're really observing right now. I mean, we're talking about a digital version 
of the Dominion from Picard season three, impersonating real people in audio, video form, deep fakes right. and so on, the havoc right. that that could cause in terms of disinformation alone, right? Uh, that it that takes it to the next level. Uh, in yeah. fact, yeah. you know what I'm you know what I'm afraid of and what I'm worried about is that moment when we get a piece of audio, you know, from uh, Joe Biden or whoever the Democratic president might be at the time, that's that in, that incriminates him in some way, shape, or form, and he had nothing to do with it. Right. Um, and everybody points to it. Oh yes, but it's audio. It's it's proof. It's right there. Or somebody on a surveillance camera walking around, and it looks like them. Yeah. doing something that, you know, committing a crime, but in fact, it's not them. Not only on a level that's, you know, just a, a, a small and, and or personal sort of individual level of people in the street, but but somebody who's prominent, putting them in a, in a situation where they either said something or did something, and it's not them. Uh, but it looks that good and that convincing, or it sounds that convincing that people start to believe it, and then the other side uses it against you. And, yeah. the, and then you're scrambling to try to prove that it wasn't you and this, that, you know, and it's too late by that time. So it, that is what I worry about. And I think more than anything else that may very well be on the horizon. We're already seeing some of this stuff. Now they can, they can make somebody, uh, they can put somebody's face on there that's speaking on a, on a, on a screen. Mm -hmm. And it looks yeah. like their lips are moving. They're saying that's their voice and it's not them. So, it's clunky right now, but when they get it to the point where it's not clunky anymore and or it's used in a way, like I said, whether it's a, a piece of uh, filmed uh, surveillance footage or security camera footage or whether it's a recording that sounds like it's a phone call, you know, in a conversation with somebody and they stage the whole thing. Th that could easily be done today. Yeah. That can be done right now. So. That's that is going to be a problem. Something you know, on top of everything else, we have to worry about. Um, this this is going to be an issue, and it is it is coming to the forefront. Thankfully, right now, and people are talking about it. Yeah. Um, Congress is going to have to wrestle with it. Somebody's going to have to deal with it. Law enforcement's going to be up against it yeah. because they're going to be busy trying to investigate stuff that that is manufactured, you know. So, and to be able to prove one way or the other whether it's real or not. It's coming. Our tech, <clears throat> our tech, you know, unlike Trek, I mean, Star Trek, we're in the future already. So we don't know what, like you said, Mary, what that process was to get to that future. We don't know what, what occurred and what transpired to get us to that point. And that's something that, you know, we have to deal with it. How, <clears throat> how much of this are we going to have to go through with these growing pains uh, of, of the technology that we're dealing with? Because the technology it's not only, I mean, it's not only good, you could do fake stuff, but you, they're, they're using it to create things, you know, whether it's music, yeah. whether it's uh, dialogue or scripts, whether it's speeches, whether it's, you know, they're, uh, they're, they're creating things with, with AI. And it's only going to get more and more sophisticated, you know, over the time. I think music is going to be one of the first things that's going to fall to AI because yeah. someone could very easily, I mean, I think we're at the point now where someone could very easily say, okay, write me nine songs. You know, put in the prompts in the chat GPT or whatever, write me nine songs in the style of Tim Russ. And, right. and someone's going to be able to do that and create yeah. an entire album of work that's basically cribbing your style using AI or anyone yeah. else's style for that matter. Yeah. And yeah. there's zero regulation along those lines. I mean, there is nothing holding it back at this nope. point. And I don't know how, I mean, Tim, how do we get to the point 
where there's enough political support, bipartisan political support for those kinds of regulations? Uh, that's a very good question. Um, it would have to be something that would be that would be brought to to Congress, brought to their attention. It have to be people who are uh, probably prominent in the business. Uh, that usually gets gets some attention if it's somebody you know like uh, you know uh, a big singer or performer or an actor who says, "Look, you know they have a, a, a congressional hearing and we're bringing it to the forefront. And here's what's going to happen. Here's what we need to do." Um, the problem is because it's the the process and the and the access to all this stuff. You, anybody can have it. Anybody yeah. can use it. Anyone, you know, you can get a, a, it'll be a 15 year old that can, you know, um, put it together and make it happen. Uh, you, how are you going to stop people from actually doing it uh, is the issue. That's the issue. How do you how do you prevent it or how do you put a cap on it or a lid on it? Um, how do you you know, but that's the, the problem is that this this Pandora's box has been open and, it, you know, the, the genie is running wild. And and I don't know how we're going to be able to put it back in the box. Yeah, I mean, I I agree that that a, a, what has been a long-standing problem is is government's failure to regulate, especially social media and technology, which is why we're where we are with people like Zuckerberg and what's yeah. his name on Twitter. Um, but <laughs> I can't after the latest tweet. I just I can't anymore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's so embarrassing. It is so embarrassing that we are ruled by the the, the dumbest, the most dumbest. fragile uh, <laughs> white men. Um, uh, anyway, <laughs> but what what does give me a little bit of hope, uh, or makes me think we have a little bit of breathing room, is that technology seems to be pretty good at developing technology to police itself. So I don't know if you remember a few years ago. Um, high school and college kids were using some program to just uh, plagiarize <laughs> and had yeah. in, and and somebody developed software that any teacher could use that could identify patterns or yes. you know yes. so it didn't last very long um, that that kind of cheating or that way yeah. to cheat so you know I'm I'm hopeful that that people are working on on that because there's so much more at stake than some kids cheating on a, an exam. Um, you know, we have entire livelihoods at stake and careers at stake, um, you know, yeah. which is what you guys are fighting right now. Um, but uh, again, though, it requires, it requires good guys. Yes, it does. <laughs> yeah. um, it would, it, it, it will require, like in that in that particular instance of them, uh, major, uh, basically was plagiarizing. It was a software that could detect plagiarism uh, automatically. So if they took a lifted a segment from somebody's book or something, it would mm -hmm. find it, be able to say it. So that th that would require somebody on the tech side, on the on the good guy side of the tech, to come up with something that could identify uh, an AI created um, piece of audio or video. Mm -hmm. So something that could immediately say, okay, that's fake. Right. Okay, this is this, yes. and then and then it would be a, a you know sort of a one-upsmanship for, you know, uh, they would find a way to get around that, and then you have to mm. find a way to come back around this, and it, it's going to be that it's going to be that sort of thing the whole time, yeah. more than likely. Um, and what's what's crazy is that, uh, you know, I didn't and I didn't realize this until it was yesterday. I think it was uh, that our 
current situation, our society, it's not just uh, the United States, but other countries as well, but particularly in this country, because there are so many people compared to when, you know, this country was first put together. Uh, you know, at the time, Thomas Jefferson was the only outlier, I think, in the group that said, you know, we need to have a constitution that only lasts for a certain number of years. And then you trash it and you come up with something else to suit the changing times. He was thinking of the future. Yeah how the future is going to change. Um, and I thought that was interesting. It was an interesting way of looking at it so that you would restructure the constitution based on how things have changed in your society. Now, I think they did a damn good job with what they have now, given that, you know, if you tried to do that now, can you imagine as a thought process trying to come up with a constitution to govern a country that has to last 270 years into our future from here <laughs> mm-hmm. to then? Can you imagine? <laughs> That's a great point. Like that but in my fact, head hurt. Yeah. In, <laughs> in fact, they actually did. They put together a structure that is still workable and usable and doable today. As long as people adhere to it, yeah. it is a functional, um, it is a flexible framework for governing the country. The only, you know, the, 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 the fact that we have such a large population, which is growing, you know, and we're going to be straining resources and we're going to be dealing with a lot of things. It's, it's much more complex. You've got even without the political divide we have, you still have a lot of you can't get five people to agree on where to go to lunch. I mean, it's still it's still a very everybody's got their thing. And it's a lot of folks. Yeah. So how do you satisfy and how do you deal with so many people? How do you get the majority is all you can ask for uh, to get the majority, the, the biggest majority you can get on one side or the other to get one thing or the other done? Um, you know, so it's a it's a big, huge, clunky process. And 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 I and I think that 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 technology as we race forward and we are a capitalist driven sort of uh, society. Um, those people are going to be making those things and, de- and developing them to for profit. And that's what they're going to want to use them for. And, and so it's very difficult to stop them. You know, the kids that are being born today, they're going to be on the forefront of all that stuff. And some of those things will be positive in terms of medicine and other things. They're already, it's already happening now, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of the technology that's being developed. It is not that genie is well out of the box. It can't put it back in. It's just going to keep going and keep going and keep going. And so, uh, you know, I'm, like you said, Mary, I'm hoping that at some point in time, you know, people come forward and say, well, they go, all right, look, let's, we got to do something here because this is ridiculous, you know? And I think it's going to take one incident, you know, where somebody's stuff has been faked, you know, where mm-hmm. there a major, a major uh, a result, something had happened as a result of it that people started to stop and say, okay, <clears throat> okay, we got to, we got to wrestle with this now. You yeah. know, right now it's just sort of boiling, yeah. it's sort of simmering and it's sort of coming, <laughs> you know, uh, on, it's like the, the, what is it? The tsunami and when the water goes out, you know, and the mm-hmm. wave, yeah, <laughs> the yeah, wave, yeah. yeah, it's just the water is just starting to recede. So <laughs> what's coming? On the line. Yeah, it's not not difficult to see where this is going as far as the technology advancing. I, I think within the next th- maybe three to five years, it's going to be imperceptible. Yes, yes. I, I think you're right. Yes, I think you're right. Voices, uh, uh, visual, uh, the way they can put together. I mean, you know, you look at the graphics that are out right now for video games. They're insane. Those things are insane. The animation and how, how you know, amazing yeah. it is. 
we're watching movies now where people look where they can age people up or down. Yeah. You know, yeah. Just CGI. And it looks as real as, as you can imagine. And that's as an just, actor, how do you how do you feel about that, Tim? As an actor, um, let's say you know, uh, how, fifty years from now, they want to do a reboot of Voyager, and they yeah. want to put your face on a different actor and bring back Tuvok. How would you feel yeah. about something like that? Well, fifty years from now, I won't be able to say much about it, Bob, because I won't be here. But uh, <laughs> well, I mean, you, you, but I mean, how do you feel about? Well, I know that, but how would? How do you feel about projecting? Okay, now I'm confusing myself. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see here. I'm, I'm starting to mess with the space time continuum. So, if if you were to go forward in time and notice that they did yeah. that, see how yeah. now I'm trying to now I'm figuring yeah, it out. Of course, absolutely, yes, I see. <laughs> But I think I think you get what I'm saying. Maybe I, maybe I will be around because the technology will have gone to that point where I'm. Um, you know, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, freaking uh, suspended animation for that time, and then um, I come back 50 years from now. I, I, you know, I, it's actually you don't have to go that far. You don't have to go that far. You don't have to go yeah. that many years. I think yeah. that that is much closer to to reality. Um, I talk about it all the time with my other friends who are actors. I said, you know. Our jobs. I'm glad I'm I'm at the point where I am because uh, people who are starting out in the business uh, may not be long lived. Because yes, your image they can they will they can take your image as it is now and they can recreate you. They're eventually not going to need your image. They won't have to license your look. They'll just composite one, and the studio will own it. Now, the only thing the only hitch is going to be you know the red carpet. What are you going to do on the red carpet? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you can't you can't do personal. Can't do personal appearances on somebody's talk show if you're just a hologram. So, but <laughs> but as far as commercial, they'll probably get they'll work around they'll probably figure out a way to work around that because yeah, if they could do that tomorrow, they would do it. If they were able to carry it off tomorrow, they would do it. And you know the children, uh, uh, my daughter's children, as it were, growing up aren't going to know the difference. Yep. They're not going to know the difference between a CGI created actor and a real actor. Because that's all they're going to see from the time they're this, you know, knee-eyed or goose. So that's going to that's going to be something that comes in with the younger generation, and they're not going to notice the difference. And we're going to be standing there going, "Wait a minute! Wait a minute! That's not right!" But it's too late. So yeah, I, it seems to me though that that one of the the good things that's coming out of this strike, which I know is is terrible for many many people who aren't working right now, um, is that it's exposing the power differentials. It's exposing this insane unfairness that the people responsible for content are get paid the least, get treated the worst. And this tiny, tiny number of people at the top just benefit enormously off of other people's work without compensating them properly. Yep. So I'm wondering if, if that may be hopefully will change the dynamic if if uh, the guilds come together and and sort of force a deal that recognizes those things yeah um it's been you know the, the process has been in place since i don't know the turn of the last century the you know in terms of what we're doing now which is striking and uh, and the, the, the what contributes to the success of those really is you know, are the big names coming mm -hmm. on board the big names carry a lot of weight yeah. and if they're if they're you know unified with us and uh, working with us in that regard i think it'll make a big difference um they have to be on board 
And unfortunately, some of them, they have their own production companies. So they're producers themselves. So they're yeah. not always as motivated to come on and, and, and strike with us in the street because they're on both sides of the fence. I mean, they, yeah. they do deals with their companies. They don't do deals as actors. So they would have to come on as actors in support of all of us. And that's how it was in the past for the strikes. Mm -hmm. They're not, they refuse to work. Yep. And therefore everything comes to a grinding halt. And those at the very top of the pyramid aren't making any money. So that's not doing them any good. They have to get up off the, the fence and, and, and do some sharing of the profits. And as you know, if, if we can, you know, it, it's worked in the past and, um, and I think it'll work this time as well. It just takes a minute for those at the top to to realize that they're going to have to give up something to do it. Uh, but that's the theme for the day uh, in the country as a whole. I mean, that's the whole, it's the way our system is designed, yeah. you know, as opposed to, you know, a diamond shape economy. We It's a pyramid and it's been a pyramid for a while. You know, only those at the very tip top have got all the goodies and everybody else is schlepping on the bottom trying to, you know, get somewhere up the, the side of the pyramid to, 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 to make it, you know, to, to, to some degree of fairness. And it's, that's what it is across the board, not just our business, but across the board. You know, you've got people, you know, still companies are still swallowing up other companies. Man, I can't, you know, every time I turn around, whatever company or corporation I was dealing with is owned by somebody else. You know, I can't even keep up with it. You know, you know as well as I do. It's like, I said, huh, mm -hmm. what? Yeah. You know? You know, the ones, the phone company swallows up the other phone company is going to be one or two before it's over. Yep. Uh, that whole thing is like still right now, nobody's minding the store in that regard, you know, to, yeah. to this consolidation of power, uh, economic power in the country. Um, everybody, you know, sort of chuckles about, you know, conspiracy theories and whatever. But you and I both know, and people watching the show both know, we know there's a handful of folks that are pulling the strings. Mm -hmm. We all know because yeah. you and I can't pick up the phone and get our congressman on the phone immediately, but the billionaire can. That's right. right? Oh, yeah. In a yep. second, he'll get his call back, right? Mm -hmm. And that's how it works. So as Star Trek portrays in the future, one of the things that, that is not important in the future of Star Trek is how much money somebody has. So that is not a priority. Uh, personal wealth and material wealth and <clears throat> individual you know, power mm -hmm. yep. is not a priority. And so, so you're saying that uh, Star Trek is woke. Is that where you're? Yeah. You <laughs> might, yeah. might be woke. They always, they always, um, <laughs> yeah, they boldly go, <laughs> boldly go. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah. But allegorically it's all over the place in Star Trek, uh, sure. across the Berman era. Across, I mean, even going back to the original series to an extent, there was always that level of diversity and always uh, baffles me. It makes me feel like I've taken crazy pills when I, and in fact, this was one of the instigating uh, things about doing this show was uh, there was a piece on foxnews.com going, why, oh, why is Star Trek suddenly woke? And I'm going, <laughs> Oh, what have I been watching? <laughs> it's <laughs> always been woke. This has been a thing since day one with Roddenberry. I don't know why. Yeah. We need to make a T-shirt, Bob, that's Star Trek woke since 1960. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was woke since it was woke since day one. Um, since it's since its inception, it was woke. That was the that's whole right. point of the show. The whole point in the concept of the show was that. Duh, it's the future. 
I've had, when I first got on the show, I had some people at the conventions, at conventions, that would, you know, ask me, you know, uh, you know, about how or why would there be uh, an African-American Vulcan? And I'm, I'm looking at them going, where, you're, 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 a, you're a fan of the show. Have you been watching the show? Have you paid any attention to the show? Um, you know, infinite diversity and infinite combinations. Oh, and by the way, uh, Vulcan has two sons. Um, duh, you might be a little toasty on that planet. And I would imagine, yeah. you know, uh, give a look, give a look at the earth. Does everybody look the same on planet earth? Um, have you exactly. noticed? <laughs> you just know, incredible. The difference in, yeah, it's called evolution. It's called, oh my God. And so people would ask me that as well. As soon as I got booked on that show, they were, oh, an African-American Vulcan. Is that, you know, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I would. How would that be any different than than it is on Earth? Because you know? because yeah, you know Vulcan is known for its huge African American population. <laughs> <laughs> Last I checked, the country and the continent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It is me since day one. So, you know. Uh, I, I, it's a, it's a fascinating thing. I, every day that I, I, every day that I get up, I mean, I have to think about the fact that, that what I, the show that I was working on was portraying this, this future that is so much more positive and on the, on track than it is today. And just the difference between the two, the, the chasm just growing every, literally every week, it seems wider, and wider and wider and and the insanity, the absolute insanity uh, that that is that permeates this place. I just don't get it, man. When I'm overseas, uh, just recently, man, people are scratching their heads. They just they can't. They don't understand what is the hell is happening over here. I yeah. I'm loath to try to explain it to them. I have to give them a bloody history lesson to yeah. To, Try to put it in focus. I have to go back mm-hmm. to the here's where it started, and here's how. You, here's what's. Uh, I have to give them a whole thing, you know, to, to to explain it to them because they they just can't understand it. You know. What are the people who question the wokeness of Star Trek missing? Um, I think it's the same. Well, it's the same bunch that are that we're dealing with generally now that are not there. There's a level of enlightenment that is required, you know, uh, in order to move uh, a cultural society forward you know for a cultural or society to evolve there has to be a level of enlightenment now you know we don't live the same way we lived in the 1400s it's very different now than it was then if they walked into the world now their head would explode so there is there is a level of enlightenment that occurs i think over the generations and and i think it is generational i think that the the younger people who are always the ones that that start the revolutions those the people being born now these young folks they are connected to each other you know online on the internet whatever it may be through the cell phone they are they can communicate with the entire world they can get access to anything uh, at the push of a button and they are interacting with each other in a very different way and we all know that that they are politically going to be much more progressive than their parents were, or their grandparents, and that's where we're. That's where it's moving now, um, I think. And that is where I think that that if we get over this hump, it's going to be because those folks are coming up, and they're going to be the ones making decisions. 
They're going to yeah. be the ones voting. They're yeah. going to be the ones, you know, that, that have control and, and power over the economic system. And they're going to have a say so because they're going to be the ones that are making the decisions. And I don't think they're going to put up with a bunch of nonsense after a while if it start, if it continues down this path. So, uh, so I think that, 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 that evolutionary track, uh, will occur, you know, over time. And, you know, looking at it from a relatively optimistic position, just in terms of the young people and their attitudes, it's just different you know, than what it was. Once, yeah. yeah. And I, yeah. I think that's the answer to the earlier question. How do we, get out of this morass? How do we get out mm-hmm. of this situation in which a significant minority of, of Americans have been, are, are either deluded or actual fascists or just don't care enough about yes. democracy uh, to, to, to do anything about it? Um, the answer is pro-democracy candidates and uh, need to keep winning. Uh, yes. That's yeah. that's it, and hope that eventually Gen Z, yeah, starts understanding the power it has to affect the kinds of change that that we really need. Because you know the rest of us screwed it up for them so badly. But you know if they if they want climate change addressed, if they want uh, women to to be uh, actual citizens with equality. Um, they need to keep winning elections for the only pro-democracy party this country has right now. Yeah. What is it? I call BS. That's what they need to be saying. Exactly. They have, um, I think also in terms of the, the, the young folks, I think also it, it, from a legislative standpoint, I know that there was a story just last week about, you know, the FCC looking into Fox News and their broadcast um, sort of uh, schemes. And, 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 and there was a question about whether or not they would consider pulling their license because of what they do. I think that, you know, the again, looking at the Constitution and the, the, the first uh, the First Amendment in terms of free speech, you know, that's what Jefferson was talking about in terms of you know, making this a more malleable document for the times now is where I think it, it needs to be more malleable. I think there needs to be a reexamination of the First Amendment. And I'm sorry, but, you know, uh, we have free speech. But when free speech literally causes the deaths of people in your country, I think there has to be some kind of uh, some guardrails put on that and what you can say and what you can't say as a responsible media company, you know, um, that you're yeah. putting out. I mean, is it wrong to, 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 to hold the media company's feet to the fire in terms of reporting the news? If the building is on fire, you have to report that the building is on fire. You can't say that the building isn't on fire. Right. You no, know, it, it, it's actually on fire. You can't report that it's not on fire. That's what we have now. And they would be yeah. allowed to say that it's not on fire. And that's that's the kind of thing, you know, when you're talking about endangering people's lives because you're reporting something that's completely and utterly erroneous and not based on fact, you know, um, that I think needs that's I think could also be something we could get into from a regulatory sort of situation. Mm -hmm. So that these these media companies that are, you know, the like Fox News, uh, you know, um, has to report actual information or actual fact and they have to retract or whatever it is they say if it was the wrong thing 
you know, yeah. or reported something that was not fact-based or it was a mistake, you know? Yeah. You know, so or it's, it's, that, that's something I think we might have to examine and, and look at in terms of our own country's sort of, um, uh, constitution and the way we've got the framework that we put our laws together you know we we live on free speech free speech is like it's it's like sacred and yeah. to the point where it's just now when they start abusing it like this is that right to is that the way to do that i don't think so but you know we've mod modified that before uh hate you cannot engage in hate speech. There are certain words you still can't say on broadcast television. That's true. I'm not sure why cable gets to be a, a zone in which none of that, um, nobody's held accountable. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't see why it's so controversial for Fox not to be able to call itself news yeah. or for there to be a Chiron when somebody like Hannity is on saying this, these are his opinions. Yeah, this isn't factually based or whatever. Yeah. Um, it doesn't yeah. seem like it should be that difficult, and yet here we are, right? We yeah, banging and, up against the same wall. And it's a, and that wall is the in terms of the uh, the effect that it has on the population. It has had on the on the population is is striking. Uh, it, it's just striking. I can you know uh, to, to have a point of reference. You know, when I go back to the 1960s. Um, and the turmoil that existed then and to have that point of reference and then come to the point where we are now, I'm telling you, that is, that is crazy. And the younger generation does not have that point of reference. They only have today. So as they are born into today, this to them can be perceived as normal and it's not. And that's the, that's the frightening thing. That's what keeps me awake at night is just, the fact that I know, I know there was a, a time when things were normal. I know there was a time when this would not play. This doesn't, this does not, does not make any sense that somebody would say something or do something, you know, that the result would be different. And now it's not different. It's, it's, it's another Tuesday. And that's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. And I mean, insane nuts, you know. I remember the, well, I don't remember it firsthand, but I remember the investigation into the game show 21. It was documented mm -hmm. in that great movie quiz show where right. there were congressional investigations into the producers of 21 cheating on that show. Right. And what that required though, Tim, was a certain level of public outcry to say, well, that cheating's wrong. Cheating on television is wrong. Because yeah. otherwise there wouldn't have been congressional hearings. No one would have cared. Right. But there was a there was almost a consumer morality that existed, a consumer ethics that we would not tolerate cheating on television. If only that kind of attitude existed today with Fox News Channel and all of its copycats, and certainly across the broad spectrum of AM talk radio, there, there was an infrastructure. There was a time when we could regulate and call out these things. It seems like that time has passed. So I don't know what we do specifically to uh, curtail the level of disinformation and uh, just uh, almost entertainment-based manipulation of people that's happening on uh, Fox News and elsewhere. Yes, morality is morality is absent, and it's absent from the bottom all the way to the top. And like Mary yeah. said at the very beginning, you know, how do you, you know, that it would it's difficult to to deep to get people on the right track or get people to open their eyes or whatever if in fact 
the very leaders of the country are parroting the same propaganda. The very people who are supposed to be in charge, are supposed to be, you know, our elected officials who are supposed to be looking out for us, um, for their constituents, for their country, people who have sworn an oath to the office, an oath to the office. And at the same time, you are attempting to or supporting the overthrow of your own government that you swore an oath to, yeah. uh, you know, and and in in our the court is the same situation. You have people on the courts whose spouses are advocating for the, the overthrow of basically the government to to to, to completely yeah. throw away an election, and they're on the highest court in the land. I mean, in my lifetime, I could not have imagined the court to get to the point that it's at now. And yeah. those institutions, man, if they fall, we are toast if we lose those. I, I think part of the struggle right now is less that the those people, the insurrectionists and the seditionists, uh, are engaging in propaganda to hold on to their power or are legislating from the bench because they're beholden to billionaires who give them nice vacations or what have yes. you, or to protect your wife and keep her from going to prison. Uh, it's it's yeah. that people are um, who who do have the power and who are on the right side of things aren't using their power to to hold those others accountable. Why, for example, is Fox the only quote unquote news station? on played in American bases. <laughs> why, why? I yeah. mean, that's just, you're just, you're just propagandizing your own uh, enlisted men and women. And, you know, why are we not expanding the Supreme Court, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Why so we, I think it's those missed opportunities as well. That and, and in point of fact, um, I honestly, you know, think back on uh, Obama and, and the fact that he should have put put his uh, put Garland on the court, he should have put him on the court, with or without the Senate approval. He should have gone and put him on the court and said, "This is what I'm doing. I'm putting him on the court. I have a right to do so. I am the president, elected by the majority of this country." And he should have put him right on the court. And the hell with Mitch McConnell and the hell with Congress. Sorry, uh, go ahead and do it. I'm pretty yeah. sure that 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 this the Senate confirmations were not in the original Constitution, and they're all originalists. That's all they claim to be. That's right. So that's that wasn't in the original setup. That came later. So at the end of the day, if he's the majority elected president by the majority of this country, you know, as Mitch likes to call it, yeah, you know, let the people decide. Then they decided already. That's right. Turn right around and put Garland on that court, and the hell with him. You know? Yeah, we keep playing by rule books that uh, yes. the the other guys right. lit on fire a long time ago. Yes. And the only the only point of disagreement I have is um, if Barack Obama had nominated Ketanji Brown Jackson, uh, I think the base would have risen up in such a way that he would have been able to put her on the court without dealing with yeah. the Senate at all. Because yeah. they all would have cared. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's uh, that's possible. I maybe I maybe, maybe. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I I think that if he, even with Garland as his nominee, I think that if he had 
if he had done that, if he had said, I'm going to put him on anyway, I think that would have stirred up a lot of folks just on the, it sure as hell would have stirred up the other side. Yep. They would have been pitchforks and torches all day. But yep. I see your point. Yes, I see that if it, it had been Katanji, it might have been something even People more. People would have cared more. That's all. <clears throat> yeah, 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 yeah. But I, <laughs> I, it, yeah. You know, it, 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 could have been, it could have been Mr. Magoo or freaking turn up anybody, but the, <laughs> the people we got on there now, just anybody, but that, you know, it would have been very happy to have and, and at least had something of a balance at this point. But yeah, uh, yeah you're right. I, I, it, that, but that again, you know, uh, when I was talking earlier about, you know, the possible, you know, outcome of, of, uh, of what's happening in terms of the young people sort of becoming aware and in voting and becoming more, politically active i you know the the darker the dark side is still the you know that gloom that cloud that comes sweeping over the country in the in the in the uh, fantasy movies the you know all <clears throat> the plants are dying and the trees are dying and all that that still is it's still looming it's very prominent so it's kind of scary mm-hmm. you know in terms of like i said the courts as well as our congress those are two major institutions that we cannot afford to lose um and they are severely uh, contaminated. They are they are contaminated. They're they're uh, spoiled. They're uh, compromised. And this is uh, this is something we gotta we gotta reverse. So uh, we should be expanding the court. In fact, we should be expanding the court. There's no reason why we can't. So, Tim, is there a particular episode? It doesn't have to be Voyager, but if it is, great. Uh, is there a particular episode of Star Trek that resonates with you as far as its cultural, political, allegorical impact? I would take, I would say that uh, consequently, the, there was an episode of Voyager that I directed called Living Witness, mm. uh, which I think was, uh, I was lucky to draw that story because I didn't have any choice of what story I would get. And that story is very much relative to what kind of what we're talking about now. I love the yeah. theme of that story, which was basically revisionist history. It mm-hmm. was it was uh, uh, the, the, the society that the alien society that was involved had a underclass and an upper class. And the underclass was to, was treated as second class citizens. They were discriminated against. They didn't have the same say so. And they were they were scorned and they were looked down upon because of the history of what the entire society believed actually happened. And it involved Voyager. So when, when that secret or what that actual history was, 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 was going to be revised or going to be revealed to be false, it would cause this huge upheaval in the society. So in the story, the museum curator is working with our doctor on the ship, uh, has the opportunity, he has the choice, he's faced with a choice to reveal to his society that what they believed in all those years was wrong. Um, or should we leave everything like it is and still allow the lie of history to be uh, to affect the way in which the dynamic of the two sides of the culture um, behave and how they interact? Should we reveal this, um, the truth, as it were? Because yeah. it's going to cause pain to the to their society and their culture, and it was so appropriate. Yeah, and, wow. he, and sure enough, at the end of the story, he decides to uh, to reveal that secret. And sure enough, you know they riot, and there's all this fighting and back and forth, and 
that's what they expected and that's what happened. But those are those are here we are again, growing pains, because now there will be a balance. There will be a mm -hmm. realization and an acceptance of the actual fact. And our history, as we see right now, the right is trying to rewrite. The right yep. is trying to take away the history. Yeah. They are banning books that deal with our history. They want to ban the, the stories, the things that are in the history books. They want to modify them and take them out. They want to change the reason why some things happened. Slavery? There wasn't any slavery. What are you talking about? Because that changes the perception of how people are treated in the future when you take away that irrelevance of what happened in the past. So right now we're faced with that, with this this aspect of this, this political side of our, our society that wants to revise history in order to get in order to to set a, a different mindset of how people are treated in the present and so i think that was a very important story um yeah, uh, impression. Impression. Work. yeah yeah yes yeah yeah incredible and actually bob it reminds me a little bit of um one of your favorite strange new world episodes from season one um when i you know the names i don't <laughs> uh, it takes place on a world where they, in order to maintain the level of culture and society they have, they basically torture children. Um, oh yeah, lift us where suffering cannot lift, reach. Yeah, yeah right. Lift us where yeah. suffering cannot reach, and that society, when faced with its transgressions, made the wrong choice and decided to continue to ignore oh. its you know, the way, um, the cruel and inhumane ways it, uh, perpetuated itself. And that kind of feels like where we are too. Yeah. <laughs> you know? oh, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. That yeah, I can see that. Yeah. There's definitely, I mean, there are quite a few parallels that yeah. come, uh, from the Trek world and, and mm -hmm. ever since, uh, Roddenberry's days, I mean, that was his whole point was to create this show that, you know, reflected, what was going on in society at the time. And he did such a brilliant job at that um, in several classic episodes. But even then, uh, the story uh, in, in, you know, understanding uh, different cultures and the way in which those societies work is also something that they like to, to deal with because they're encountering all these different races and things like that. Um, uh, we, we had, there was an episode in, in next gen, I think it was toss was one of the episodes or was it deep space nine? It might've been, no, I think it was next gen where it was toss, uh, the, the, the alien that's running, um, trying to escape, uh, oh, yeah. being chased. Oh yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And they take him and they try to protect him and keep him there and, and keep him from being caught or killed or whatever. And he's trying to tell them, no, you don't understand. This is, this is our culture. This is what we do. That's right. This is very important for me to be chased. Mm -hmm. And the longer I'm chased, the more, the higher the status of my people is. That, and that was such a, an interesting episode. I caught it once by accident. I was watching and I said, well, this is fascinating. It's absolutely yeah. because you're not, you are assuming, you are putting your cultural mm -hmm. values and ideologies on somebody else and not understanding that theirs is very, very different. And they and, didn't ignore the prime directive that time. So no, they didn't. <laughs> for them. They did not ignore the prime directive. Yes, they did what I'm obsessed with that. By the way, <laughs> you can't tell. Yeah. The, yes, it was an interesting idea, but it was very often violated. So uh, <laughs> and very recently, always messing with somebody else's stuff all the time. That happened constantly. So uh, 
And even when they weren't under threat, it was like, well, wait a minute now, you know, uh, <laughs> it, was always, it could be better if they did it our way. Well, yeah, we had an episode with uh, very early on with, with uh, our, our Garrett's character, uh, Kim, where the people of the planet, when they died, they thought that they were going to this wonderful heaven that they believed in. And uh, the bodies and their souls were going up to this wonderful heaven. And they found out that they're just storing the bodies on an asteroid that's going around the planet. And, you know, they're all just being warehoused on this asteroid. And, you know, Kim's, Harry Kim's character, you know, he has a relationship with one of the ladies. He gets to be friends with one of the alien women on there. And he, and, and she, he has to, he has to tell her that, you know, he tells her, you know, that the, the bodies are on this rock going around the, you know, it's exposed. And she doesn't know whether to tell people of her entire society that, yeah, that whole thing about the, <laughs> that's not the case. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a dilemma in revealing mm-hmm. the truth of what's happening. Yeah, yeah. Too much information. <laughs> and you know, now that we're talking about Voyager episodes, I, I wanted to just compliment you on riddles. I just recently watched that episode from season six, and yes. Tim, it destroyed me. That episode, just every time I see it, I just start <laughs> I start to just break up. And yeah, it, it is so good. Just so everyone knows, Tuvok is attacked by an, a, like a cloaked alien species that produces neurological damage that's similar to a stroke. And so he forgets who he is, what he does, and in the process becomes very close with Neelix. And the friendship between uh, you and Neelix is just so emotional and so compelling and so interesting and uh, just utterly fascinating. It it had to have been an acting meal for you, something like that, where you can do both sides of this character. Oh yeah. And, and I had a rare, just a couple of opportunities throughout the series to be able to do that. You know, Um, you, as an actor, you train for years to learn how to show emotion. Mm -hmm. I end up playing this character for seven years. It doesn't have any, it it figures. Um, that figure. How, so, how do you do that? How, how do you approach acting emotionlessly? Um, that's easy. That's the easy part. Because you, what the hard part is showing the range of the nuances of emotion. That's that's the tricky bit is to is to play a line of dialogue where you have two gear shifts of emotions right in the middle of it. You know, um, it is easy. It basically, Bobicardo calls it. You know, you're playing King Lear with an eyebrow. That's essentially what. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's very, very subtle. That's just mm-hmm. everything is very understated and very subtle. For me, it was very easy to do that. And I have to admit that some of my friends accuse me of half being half Vulcan to begin with. <laughs> so probably is some of that also. Um, so yeah, uh, it, it, you know, it was it was cake and ice cream for me to do that. The challenge and the fun as an actor for me was when I could cut loose and do something either like Riddles or the final episode when he's uh, suffering from dementia. Um, oh, yeah. That was a challenge. And also in Meld uh, with Brad mm-hmm. Durk, um, where he completely goes, you know, berserk in the in the sick bay and threatens the captain and all that stuff. Man, that was that was just, you know, that's when I you know could enjoy doing the, the craft of acting because now you get a chance to play all the 
all the emotional beats. Oh, and yeah. as a vulcan yeah. character, you don't get a chance to do that. So everything is just played very stoic and very subtle. Um, it's fun to be able to be the foil, you know, right. up against uh, the human condition and all that. But, you know, as far as an acting challenge, cake and ice cream, all of that is easy. Yeah, and uh, ironically, you actually prepare cake and ice cream in Riddle. So yes, I do. That. <laughs> Both literally and figuratively, yeah. there's cake and ice cream involved. Yeah. Yes, the the only difficult part about it is is having to tolerate the uh, the constant teasing and joking from characters like Ethan Phillips, you know, who's always, he's always cutting up on set. So that's the tricky part is you're going to break during the take. Yeah. It's wonderful. Just wonderful. That episode. Oh my God. Just thinking about it, just, I'm going to start crying here on the show is what's going to happen. Oh, man. Uh, oh, so I'm going to change the subject real quick. I want to go back to astronomy. Uh, is there anything that you notice when you're watching, it could be Star Trek or any sci-fi yeah. that as an astronomer, you go, Oh, well, the, stop doing that. Stop getting this particular thing about astronomy wrong. Like, for example, whenever I hear like a generic star system referred to as a solar system, I go, no, wait a second now. The, the sun is Sol, and that means our solar system. But that's not every it's like referring to every person you confront as, oh, there's Tim Russ. And over there is Tim Russ. And oh, like, yeah, my mom's name is Tim Russ. Everything becomes the same. So is there any particular nitpick that you have as an astronomer with uh, sci-fi tropes? No, I mean, the, the, you know, Trek has traditionally always had, uh, they have, a, they have a, a consultant that they work with that gives them sort of the basic, you know, ballpark physics. So my gripe was, my complaint would have been that they always used uh, subspace in some way, shape or form for damn near everything. And it was like, oh, my, well, okay, enough of the subspace, this or that or this. Or that. It was constantly, constantly doing all of that. Um, and, and they would just make, you know, they obviously making up some of the terms because it's supposed to be in the yeah. future and the physics is different and we understand a lot more. And so they had to go down that road. But that mm -hmm. was one of the things that was a pet peeve of mine, especially on our show, because they were constantly using that. As an subspace excuse for frequency. subspace, <laughs> this, that, or the other thing. It was every subspace, you know, pancakes. I mean, whatever, <laughs> whatever it was, it was subspace, everything. Really um, good. That was a, that was annoying. It was annoying after a while, uh, as far as all that goes. Yeah, that stuff was was sort of, sort of annoying. Now, see, now if Akiva and Alex are listening, there's going to be an episode of Strange New Worlds with subspace pancakes. <laughs> That's going to be a thing. It's like Pike's going to be in there. I'm, what are you making, Captain Pike? Oh, I'm making subspace pancakes. Subspace pancakes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And if not, then it's going to have to be in Legacy. Yes, and the, the, yeah, they're, oh, out of, yes. they're out of yeah, they're out of phase, so you won't be able to eat them. You know? yeah, the, yeah, the pancakes are out of phase with the syrup, and you can't combine the two unless they're out of phase with the syrup. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my goodness gracious. That's oh, hysterical. I really want that to happen now. <laughs> want some subspace pancakes. Oh my god. <laughs> oh. oh boy, yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh. uh, Tim, this has been so phenomenal. I we've, yes. I can't believe how much of your time we've taken. My goodness, I just looked at <laughs> the clock. Thank you, thank you for that, Tim. Uh, thank you for being so generous with your time. I, I'm like 25 minutes over, um, <laughs> but this has been such a pleasure. Um, your insights, all of your contributions. Uh, it's an honor to meet you. We've been so looking forward to this, uh, 
So thank you. Yeah, likewise, Mary. It's been a pleasure. And Bob, having listened and watched you guys uh, for quite a while now, it was a pleasure uh, to be able to be on the show. And you contacted me, Bob. I was thrilled. And then you said, Mary is your host. Oh, my God, Mary's your host. I said, oh, that, well, now we're ready. And, and I told my girlfriend, Deborah, she just flipped. She was she flipped. She said, are you going to be you're going to be on with Mary? You're going to be on with Mary. See, yes, I'm going to be on with Mary. <laughs> yeah, because we watch you on the big TV all the time. So it's it's, it's wonderful. And we keep up with stuff. And we're all of us are in the same, you know, we're in the same camp, uh, yep. we're on the same tribe, you know. Yep. Oh, yeah. We're there, you know, trying to get the, the fight, get the word out. And, you know, uh, I know that everybody was, uh, I don't know, everybody was banging Twitter lately. Um, I can't remember David Pakman gets on him about it. Uh, Twitter uh, with, what's his name, with Musk in charge and stuff and all that. Uh, and I know mm-hmm. there's some other alternative platforms that are coming up, but I stay on Twitter. I've got a lot of followers on there, a yeah. bunch of followers, and I post nothing but politics and stuff and facts and information and things that people need to know. Um, and it's important, I think, to me to just to get that out there and to keep it out there just on that small yeah. scale. All of us yeah. in some way can contribute to keeping the word out and let those people can get it to maybe somebody else who simply just are not aware of what's happening. And maybe that their awareness, they can take that in and say, OK, before they get on the wrong, before they go down the rabbit hole you know, um, of, of, of nonsense and craziness. So yeah. to me, it's important that we, you know, manage to keep the word out and, and, and keep the word going and keep the, you know, the shows and, and the discussions alive and, and the topics alive and, and the debates alive. Uh, it's, it's really yeah. important uh, for our tribe, as it were, because it's a tribe, mm-hmm. what it is. Right. <laughs> uh, and you're right. We have to stop seeding ground. Yeah. Twitter's not the most pleasant place anymore but i'm not leaving i'm not leaving you can't leave no no you can't if you bail then you you've just given it up to them that's right that's That's right that's what our problem is we cannot give up ground you know that 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 has where where that information can be spread and shared um and i'm getting people that come up to me uh, again if i go to a convention they're constantly saying you know i'm i love your posts I follow your posts and I love your posts. And every time I hear that, I'm thinking that's that's what the idea is. These people are on the other side of the country and they're following and they're hearing and they're seeing. We have this power. We have that power now to be able to do that. You know, I mean, you can get it on your phone for crying out loud. It's just, you know, it's instant. It's there. So uh, I I will continue to do that as much as possible. And I'll stay on there. you know, and, and keep it going. And the number of people that are following me is going up. It's not going down. It, yeah. it's oh, wow. Going. Yeah, it's great. So that is great. Yeah, it's wonderful. Um, so I continue to do it and, and I'm not going to stop. So and we have to keep doing it as well, uh, whether it's Stephanie, whether it's yourself, whether it's uh, MSNBC, bless their hearts, still still up there, you know, fighting the Flag good fight. Yeah, yeah, fighting the good fight, man. I'm ah down for it so as much I'm surprised as they haven't brought you on yet i'm surprised you haven't been on ms uh, um yeah guest. oh on msnbc no i i don't have the uh i don't have the profile uh for that uh, i don't have a big enough profile for that i'd have mm. to be you know i'd have to be another notch or two up to get me on there as a contributor or just as a guest or whatever 
Yeah, maybe one day MSNBC, the topic of the day will be subspace pancakes, and then <laughs> there's your opening. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Okay. How cool is that? Good Lord, that was amazing. Yeah, just, just, just a multifaceted, talented, deep guy, and I enjoyed every second of that. Uh, so thank you. Got to mention hashtag subspace pancakes. <laughs> Got to make that a thing. We are going to make that a thing. Yeah. And I feel bad for Tim because now he's going to be inundated with tweets <laughs> of people saying subspace pancakes to him. I, Listen, I hope- there are worse things to be inundated with. Well, you know, he gets the, he was in Spaceballs, which we didn't right. ask him about, but he was in Spaceballs and he has this great line where he's literally combing the desert and he gets that all the time. I mean, he's got, yeah. I, I don't know, he's got like 200 credits on IMDb and the thing he gets shouted at the most is about his line this in is, Spaceballs about combing the desert. So it's, it's time to update it and, yes, and exactly. switch it up, right? <laughs> That's so a, it's going right. to be substance pancakes from now on yeah we're we're so sorry tim <laughs> so anyway that was great it was great to meet his girlfriend deborah uh yes. who, who hung out even though we couldn't see her she she chimed in on occasion so that was really fun and um basically that's almost it uh for this show uh, there's two other things first of all our guest that should we should we tell them i'm so excited about this i don't even know what to do with myself yeah go for it Bob, I want to let everybody know who our guest is next week. It is, this is so cool, the most excellent Kirk Acevedo. Um, mm-hmm. Crin from Picard season three, yeah. I mean, Fringe, the Band of Brothers, the list is endless. Uh, Oz, it's, 12 Monkeys, yeah. Yep. It is so amazing to have him uh, become part of the Star Trek universe in uh, Picard season three. Yeah. So really looking forward to talking to him about all things Star Trek, what he's up to, what he thinks of what's happening. Uh, And finally, we just want to make sure that everybody knows that uh, Star Trek Prodigy has our full support. And uh, we hope that uh, Paramount Plus returns Prodigy to its streaming service because we know Prodigy has lots of dedicated fans out there. Yeah, and we know quite a few people who work on that show. Uh, this guy, Sean Bishop, who I'm friends with, is uh, one of the directors in season two. And, of course, Carlos Alice Rocky from The Stephanie Miller Show and yeah, from Reno 911. Yeah, Carlos his, Rocky. Yeah, his daughter, Riley, plays one of the characters on uh, Prodigy, who does one of the voices on that show. So uh, lots of connections between us and Star Trek Prodigy and... You know, it's one of those things that's baffling. Like, okay, well, we know why they're doing it. We get it. It's the whole battle between art and commerce, and commerce mm-hmm. in this case is winning. Um, but it just doesn't seem fair that they're doing this, especially given the fandom uh, around the show, the support for the show, the quality of the show. And yeah. so hopefully 
at the very least, it'll find a home elsewhere, maybe Netflix. So we'll see how that goes. But in the meantime, if you can support Star Trek Prodigy, uh, just go and sign one of the petitions. Mm-hmm. I know there there's at least one or two of them floating around right now. But if not, uh, you know, make sure you lend your support on social media. And we certainly do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that does it for us today. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Trek Politics. We are loving this. And thank you for all of your support. It means so much to us. And we will see you next week. Next week.